Anyway, so tonight, my job, not to convince you that you should belong, but to tell you what the village is all about, to tell you why we do what we do. Last year, we spent like 10 weeks doing this, so if you really want to get details about it, you can go on the website and you can listen to all the details. But tonight, I'm just going to give you the pitch for why you should belong at the village, why the village does what it does, and all those good things. Um, so let me let me start here. Uh, the last two weeks, Rod has been talking on Abraham and Isaac, but he's been using a lot of stories about planting this church and how this church happened and and his perceived failure and then how God kind of birthed this um, out of his out of his uh, not succeeding in the way he wanted to but I mean this is pretty awesome so God really blessed that but he's been telling his story so let me just quickly start out to say that the reason that I'm in this and the reason that I get up in the morning and do this is started when I was 23 sitting in a church that was very, very big with like 500 people in it for one service. And I'm looking around and most of my friends don't know Jesus. And I look around the church and I'm like, you know what? I'm pretty sure I can barely get my friends to come to dinner at my house. They're not coming to church. and But they're interested in God. But even the things that are in their hearts and in their souls and that they're wrestling with this community that I'm in, isn't capable of dealing with it. And I'm barely capable of dealing with it. Um, and so, and helping them. And so, at 23, I didn't help God plant the church until I was 29. So between that time, God took me through a lot of different things to get me to a place where we could come and have a church where I hope people can come and wrestle with stuff. And wrestle with stuff. Now, the village has been around since 2001. And um, over those years in Tucson, the village has a reputation for being the church that's about community. In fact, I get pastors, people from other churches all the time asking, well, how do you do community? How do you do that? Because everybody wants this mysterious word to be in their life called community. It's not in the Bible. But they, they want that. They want to have this connection when they go to church. Um, and usually I don't know what to say to those people about how they get community because the reality is that after 12, 13 years of the village, community's kind of been disappointing, right? I mean, yeah, there's been some great, awesome things that have happened at the village, but actually in general, you know, it's kind of a disappointment. You guys are a disappointment, right? I am a disappointment. Right? I, I know for sure, because I've known some of you for just a short period, but a lot of you for a long time. I have failed you. I have chickened out on things in your life. I've not done what I'm supposed to. I've said offensive things. I, I haven't come through the way that I'm supposed to. But that's the reality, is that good community starts with the fact that good community is actually bad community. Because it starts with broken people. And so... I would like to just start um, talking about the village tonight out of Romans chapter 3. And most of you, I hope, know these if you know the Bible at all. But Romans chapter 3, verse 23, um, is you know a really famous verse that people quote at each other all the time. But let me, let me read it to you. 
3.23, out of Romans, the author Paul says this. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The reality is, is that when a group of people gather and decide they want to follow Jesus, they start at that point. That everybody has sinned. And we are all broken. We start at a broken point. And you cannot have good community if you start at a broken point. So in this world, if the village is lifted up as, hey, this is a place for community and friendship and engagement, and that becomes the God, the reality is it's going to fall really quick because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, Romans 6.23 gives us a little bit of hope. But it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you thought it was just bad that you'd fallen short of the glory of God, the sin, the reason that you've all failed me is that you have these, if you think about it in a picture sense, you have these gray tendrils coming off your body that are gray and ugly and they're death. That you all come walking through that door with these gray, ugly tendrils of death connected to you. And we all bunch up against each other and when you push up against my gray tendrils of death and your gray tendrils of death, we get a big knot of death, which makes community really difficult. right? But this verse says that there's this gift, and it's a gift of eternal life. Now, here's the thing about eternal life that, that a lot of times we don't understand, is that we think somehow eternal life is just this get-out-of-hell card, that we... Hear Jesus, we accept Him as our, our Lord and Savior, and then we don't have to go to hell. Yay. But that's not the big point. The big point is, is that it's eternal life. It means that the only one eternal being has reached His hand down through Jesus Christ and is entertaining a relationship with you. And that's the exciting thing about all of us coming together. Because if you could imagine coming through this door with all those great tendrils of death. The other thing is those of us who are willing to grab hold of Jesus Christ have all of these golden tendrils of life, of hope coming off of us. And they begin to intertwine. And so when we interact in community together, what we have is this line of death and this line of life intertwining. But the promise of the life is that you and I don't have to pay the price of death. All those gray things of death that's attached to us will go away in the end when Christ's kingdom comes and you and I are made new. But right now, that's not really working great because I can guarantee you even this week some of you have disappointed me, made me upset, given me anxiety attacks. It's not been good. So I know it's not working, right? It's not perfect. We live in this place of brokenness. But we live in a really exciting place after the cross of Jesus. And I want to start in thinking about community and what it means to come and live together around Jesus. I want to look at Jesus in John chapter um, 13. I'm just going to read one verse to you. John chapter 13. 34, Jesus at the Passover where he's 
done communion, basically. Here's my body, here's my blood. In the midst of that, he's taken off his shirt, basically, wrapped it around his waist, and cleaned the bodies and the feet of his disciples. Now, in those days, that was a bad deal. I am not taking off anything and washing anything. I've seen some of your feet, right? I've seen my feet. It's not, like, and just cleaning people's feet is, is kind of disgusting. Um, but Jesus is making a point. So he washes the feet of the disciples. And in the context of that, in verse 34, he says, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The key to good community, the key to coming around Jesus, Jesus tells us, is the way that you and I love one another. The way that we engage one another. The way the world is going to know who Jesus is. The way we're going to know who Jesus is. Is the way that we love other people. What I want to tell you, that the reason that I get up in the morning, the why of what we do here, the reason we do all the things that we do, the why, is that I believe community centered around Jesus changes people's lives. When community is gathered around Jesus, people's lives change. And they change because they become more like Jesus. Now, what we say at the village, for those of you who are new, we have all these values. So we say community that's authentic, that's real, that's willing to be honest. Community that's accessible or hospitable. A community that's creative, a community that's disciplined. That kind of community, centered around Jesus, changes people. So if it's community centered around Jesus, then we got to center around Jesus. So tonight, all I want to do is remind you about who Jesus is and what he calls us to do. And so I'm going to camp tonight in Philippians chapter 3. So if you want, or chapter 2, if you want to open your Bible to Philippians chapter 2, that's where we're headed. Philippians is written by Paul. It's the uh, passage of or it's the letter of joy. But Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in the beginning. Says, Paul says to the Philippians, he says to you, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul says, if there's any encouragement, encouragement is courage, if you get any courage, And what he's talking about is if you get any courage from the gospel, if you get any courage from your relationship with Jesus, so if you get any courage from your relationship with Jesus, if you feel any kind of unity with people because of Jesus, if you have any kind of tenderness or compassion because of Jesus. So here's the first thing 
that you need to think about when walking into a community and looking for community, looking for friendship, looking for a place to belong, is that where you get your source of courage, your source of connectedness, your source of tenderness and gentleness has to come from Jesus. So the question you need to ask yourself tonight is, do I find any courage in my relationship with Jesus? Because I'm connected to Jesus, do I feel united to the people who say they belong to Jesus? Am, do I find tenderness and compassion out of my relationships with Jesus? Because for community to be effective, for you to live into your eternal life and into your relationship with Jesus, you have to be willing to figure out how to find courage from that relationship. And if you don't know where that is, that's where you have to begin. You have to say, look, I don't know how to find courage from my relationship. I don't feel tender or compassionate towards anyone. And I don't feel united. Like there's nothing there. You need to, there's where, the, there's where you need to start. You need to ask people. You need to raise your hands. That's where I am. You need to be honest about it. See, at the village we say you need to be authentic. Authentic says, this is an honest assessment of where I'm at. I don't get any courage from my relationship with Jesus. What's wrong? What's going on? Okay? So as you walk into community, Paul's challenge is for us to take, if we get any of these good things, if any of this comes to us, then what we're supposed to be is like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, doing nothing out of, selfish, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The secret to good community, the secret is it's not about you. The secret to dealing with most of your problems in life is it's not about you. But we live in a culture that very quickly tells you it is about you. If you watched any of the football games, every commercial tells you it's about you. You need this car. You need to drink this kind of beer. You need to eat these kinds of cereals. Because what they do is they'll bring you to some mountain where there's lots of grass and cool breeze and everything feels good if you have this cereal, if you drive this car. Because it's about you and how you feel. And most of us walk through those doors. We go to the different meetings. We go to each other's homes. And we're like, please make me feel good about myself. Our first thing is it's all about me. And sure, a lot of us are in pain. So, of course, it should be about you, right? One of the ways to walk out of pain is to realize it's not about you. What Paul says is, if you can find a center with Jesus, then begin to make it about other people. Begin to make it about other people. Because if you come into a community that's making it about other people, it will actually be made about you. Like people will think of you. And if they don't, wow, you get this awesome opportunity to sit in loneliness exciting and disappointment right and it's exciting right no not really but but it is a place to find jesus it is a place to find 
strength. It is a way of pointing yourself back. I want to hold on to this idea, the why. Go back to it. The why we do what we do at the village is we believe that community around Jesus changes people. Community surrounded around Jesus changes people. A community that imitates Jesus changes people. So Paul, he, he basically says, look guys, stop being selfish, center yourself on Jesus, but he doesn't leave them set, just left there. He says, okay, if, you're gonna, if I'm going to put you around Jesus, let me remind you what Jesus does and how he did it so that you can do it too. Verse 5, it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So your mind, the way you think about things, the way you act should be the way Jesus did. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So what Paul says is, if we're going to be like Jesus, then you ought to look at what Jesus did. And the first thing it says is that Jesus was God, but he didn't try to grasp that. It literally means he didn't try to steal it. He didn't try to steal the identity of God. He didn't try to take a hold of the advantage of being God. He didn't try to steal it. The first part, if you're going to think about other people, is that you have to get whatever it is that you have on the throne off the throne. And like I said earlier, you're the one sitting on the throne. Think about yourself. You think you're God. You really do. And you have a lot of worship rituals that you do for yourself. Right? You have certain ways of eating food and what kinds of food you want to eat. You have certain addictions that you practice over and over again to kind of set yourself up. You begin to believe that you are better than other people or that you deserve something. All of us have ourselves on the throne. And here's the thing. Jesus didn't try to steal being God. You and I have already stolen it. Right? Remember, we went through, we're going through Genesis, and what was it that Adam and Eve was a temptation? Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. They wanted to steal God and make themselves God. Make the world revolve around them. The question I have for you tonight, second question, and it's the first thing that kills community, is how much of yourself is on the throne? And how hard are you dragging yourself off? Right? Because if you're like me, I, I have some great victory. We're like, oh wow, I actually thought about other people and I was really kind and gentle and, and I'd put my you know, stuff aside. So wow, I need to reward myself for that. So I'll put myself back on the throne and give myself some gifts and adulation <laughs> for such a great thing. And I'm back on the throne. 
because I really want the world to revolve around me. And I'm not joking. Like, so do you. You desperately want it to revolve around you. And that's why community is difficult, because all of us do. And so Paul is saying, you've got to be like Jesus. You have to be in a place where you know that there's just no way for you to grasp hold of being God. God is God, and you are not. And Jesus understood that. And he made himself nothing. Second thing that he did was that he emptied himself and became a servant. He emptied himself and became a servant. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's not about a political view. You can be a Republican, you can be a Democrat, you can be a moderate, you can hate everybody. Right? You can be whatever you want politically. You can think that you know people shouldn't be eating meat. You can think bacon is the best thing and should be put on everything. You, I mean, whatever issue you want to grab hold of, you can be a Christian. Because Christianity does not subscribe itself to those things. The only real thing that Christianity is about is servanthood. Right? If you go into Matthew and you listen to what Jesus says, he says the person who's lifted up is the person who serves. You go to the story I read to you out of John. The example that Jesus calls us to follow is servanthood. The identity that you have to grab onto if you want to connect to people in community is that you have to be a servant. But I don't know how many of you really think of yourself as servants. Like, you don't get up in the morning and think, where are the people that I will serve? You get up in the morning and you think, I need coffee or I will kill people. Right? Okay, awesome. Well, unless you're a process server, then you ask who you're going to serve every day. Uh-huh. But the point is that we don't hold that. That's like we pay lip service to that. But at the village, when we say community centered around Jesus, we're talking about servants who organize their lives around the master, people's lives change. No, I'm not talking about being abused and taken advantage of, but guess what happens? If you're a servant, you get abused and taken advantage of. And we live in a culture that has a very strong statement. Do not take advantage of me. I will get mine. I need to stand up for myself. On Facebook constantly, that's what I see. I get spammed with, I don't know, some with tons of political views, and usually they're all about stand up for yourself. This person stood up. No, don't stand up for yourself. Stand up for other people, yes, but serve other people. Servants study people. Servants empty their own agendas out for the sake of other people. The second part of community, if you want to be connected and engaged and follow Jesus, is a willingness to put your agenda aside and serve other people. The next thing is is that Jesus was obedient to death. And that's the cool thing about Christianity. None of this is possible unless Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. Jesus was willing to put his God, to, to, to not consider himself equal to God. He was willing to go die for our sins to be obedient to death. To have everything, all your sins, all the sin that's been put on you, put on him, to feel it, to suffer it, to wrestle with it on the cross. 
He was obedient to that. The call of a servant, and the most brutal call of a servant, is that you and I are actually called to die. Not just die physically, but to die emotionally, to die spiritually, to, to die to everything that we think we should have in all areas of our life. It's a brutal calling. I hope that you're not really excited right now. I hope you're depressed, right? Like what Paul has said is, here guys, everybody love each other. Let me tell you about Jesus. He, he wasn't on the throne. He was emptied himself and served you. And oh, by the way, he died for you. Be like him. I don't know if we want to do that. But here's the thing. If you're willing to do that, your life will change. And here's the fourth part of this. God, Jesus walks through that, and what does it say? God lifted Jesus up and gave him a name above all names, and every knee will bow. He was rewarded. Now, I'm not telling you do it for the reward, but yeah, do it for the reward. Not the reward that you get to float around on some stupid white cloud with a lot of little fat cherubs. That's not the reward, so don't think it is. The reward is that the God of the universe has handed you his hand and he wants relationship with you, and he wants to blow your mind, and if you're willing to walk in his direction, to imitate him in any way, then you get the reward of being in relationship with the God of the universe, and when he comes back, when his kingdom comes to earth, when God's place is to dwell with man, you will be in relationship with the God of the universe, you will be made new, and I will get to see your glory, you lift it up. I will celebrate you because of what God has done. That's exciting. And that's the call. That's the call for community. Now, it's really funny. Paul says in verse 12, Therefore, based on this great thing that I've told you, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, and this is key to being followed Jesus, is obedience, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I think what Paul is really saying is, hey guys, this ought to scare you. You can put in the words. right? It should terrify you. But, here's the really cool thing. If you're willing to walk on the path of Jesus, it says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose means that if you're willing to head towards getting yourself off the throne, if you're willing to empty yourself and become a servant, if you're willing to die to everything you believe is good, God will work it out in your life. He will make it happen. He's committed to working it out in your life. That's exciting because at some level, what it's saying is it's not really up to you. It's up to God. All you have to do is orient yourself in the direction of Jesus. Organize yourself around Jesus. Now, I love what verse 14 says. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Which I think my kids mean, and, and I mean. Um, this last week, my wife, if you don't know, got a job. She's been working. And so it's only four hours a day, and I drive her back and forth, which is great, because I drop her off, go do meetings, and come back. But the kids were off this week, which means... I've been carting them around to coffee shops so they've had to study with me and go to meetings with me and do all those kinds of things. And man, they, they, they get tired of driving in the back seat. I don't know why. 
Um, but they start fighting, and then I start yelling at them, and don't pinch your brother, don't do that, stop kicking my seat. Um, and and I, I have a hard time inspiring them. Like the reality is, all of us want to default to complain and grumble. It's the easy thing to do. It's the instinctual thing to do. It's part of that gray tendrils of death that's attached to us. It's complaining. We all like to do it. I'm sure this week that you've all complained about something. Pretty sure. But he says, do all of this, and here's why you should not complain and argue. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Here's the thing. If you're willing to take yourself off the throne, if you're willing to empty yourself, if you're willing to die, and you're willing to do it without arguing or complaining, you become something more than just a nice person. When you hold out the word of God, you become this explosive light to the world. And it's not just, oh, my coworkers think, oh yeah, he's a nice worker, maybe he's a Christian. No, when you follow Jesus, something spiritual happens when you don't complain and argue. Complaining and arguing is a destructive spiritual weapon. You will clamp down on any kind of impact that you have in the spiritual world when you begin to complain and argue. It kicks your witness both to people and to the spiritual world dead in a minute. It dampens everything. It's like a cold blanket. As you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering or a sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's in jail. Paul's suffering. Paul's trying to encourage the church. And he's still saying, you know what? If we keep going like this and I die, it's okay. Be happy because in the end, this is really good. This is a good path. This is a good path. I want to say, if you become part of the village, if you belong for another year, if you sign the covenant, the thing that you are joining is not a perfect community. I want to give you some promises. Number one, I will hurt you. Number two, I will not come through for you. Sometimes you'll really like me and other times you're going to hate me. And it's going to be the same. I'm going to feel the same about you. Just the way it is. I, I promise it. Okay? I don't think happy thoughts about you every day. Okay? Even when I'm praying for you. And I, I don't think you think happy thoughts for me. But my point being this. If you come and be part of a community that surrounds itself around Jesus and is trying really hard to imitate Jesus and organize itself around Jesus, your life will change. And it will change for the better. And you will become more like Jesus. Now, it might be through suffering in community. And it might be through being lifted up in community. But you will change and you will become more like Jesus if you join. Because the promise I can give you is that's why I get up every morning. 
Now, I would be remiss if I didn't end tonight in Hebrews. Those of you who have been around for a long time at the village, you know where I'm headed. But Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 are my favorite verses. And they are what all that I've talked about is fleshed out in two verses. So let me just close tonight with this encouragement. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The key to having good community is intention. Is intention. And it says here, let us consider. All of us are coming. If you come here every Sunday and you go to the different groups that we do and you hang out at people's homes, you need to understand that the intention is to push all of us to be more like Jesus. But to do that, you have to think about other people. You have to consider them. You have to be intentional. And what it says here is that you need to be intentional in a spurring. Now, spurring is like you know spurring a horse, but it, there's a better definition. This word is often used outside of the Bible for a feather tickling somebody. Okay, You know that annoying torture of having a feather and you're tickling the person. This is what the text is saying. Think about people. Get a feather, a spiritual feather, and annoy them, not towards killing you or murder, so you'll have to do it in a good way, but towards love and good deeds. So when you come, the hope here is, yes, I want you to be encouraged, I want you to be excited about Jesus, but I actually want you to be irritated. I want you to go away and think, man, something's wrong with my relationship with Jesus. Man, something's, I need to deal with that relationship with that person. Man, I am stuck with myself on the throne and I can't get off. I want you to be irritated. Not towards being mad, but towards love and good deeds, towards actually thinking about how you can change things in your life. That's what this community is about. But here's the thing. You can't do that if you stop coming. If you don't come every Sunday, if you don't go to the pilgrim groups and the monastic communities and, and the McConnell Bible study and you don't do the other things that the village does, I'm not saying you have to show up to everything, but if you're not consistently part of the rhythms of the community, nobody can irritate you. Right? So here's the thing. You want to know how to have good community? Find a bunch of people who will irritate you towards love and good deeds and show up as much as you can saying, I'm here to be irritated. Right? I want to be irritated towards love and good deeds. And your life will change and you will be more like Jesus. So that's the invitation next week. Maybe none of you will come back. But <laughs> the invitation is that not to come to a perfect community, because not to come to a church who says one of its values is community. That was dumb. But to, to like come to a place where you are willing to be irritated and be transformed and be more like Jesus. That's what I'm inviting you to be. That's what I want you to be part of. Anybody have a time? Six twelve. Perfect. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these people because they've been faithful to me 
and they have loved me in the midst of my brokenness, and I have changed to be more like you because of them. They've spoken hard words. They've been long-suffering. They've let me be sandpaper on them, and I thank you for them publicly. Jesus, I ask your blessing on the rest of this year, from this October to next October, that you um, would create in us a people who are surrounded around you and who are willing to step into each other's lives and be consistently irritated towards love and good deeds. 